Part B of Chapter Thirteen of Two Years in the Forbidden City. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two Years in the Forbidden City, by Princess Dilling, Chapter Thirteen, The Empress's Portrait, Part B. After the people had gone, we came from behind the screen, and Her Majesty said, "Let us go and have some more pictures taken while the weather is fine." So she walked the courtyard of the audience hall, where my brother had a camera ready, and had another photograph taken. She said that she would like to have some taken sitting on her throne, exactly as though she were holding an audience. It took us only a few minutes to have everything prepared in the courtyard. The screen was placed behind the throne, and her footstool was also placed ready for her, and she ordered one of the court ladies. To go and bring several gowns for her to select from. At the same time, I went and brought some of her favorite jewelry. She ordered the two gowns which she had worn at the audiences when she received Admiral Evans and Mrs. Evans to be brought in, and also the same jewels as she had worn on these two respective occasions. She had two photographs taken in these costumes, one in each dress. Next. She wanted one taken in a plain gown, without any embroidery. She then ordered my brother to go and finish the pictures which had already been taken, as she was anxious to see what they were like. She said to my brother, "You wait a minute. I want to go with you and see how you work on them." Of course, I had not considered necessary to explain to Her Majesty the process of developing the pictures, the dark room, etc. So I explained to her as well as I could the whole thing. Her Majesty replied, "It doesn't matter. I want to go and see the room, no matter what kind of room it is." So we all adjourned to the dark room in order to see my brother work on the photographs. We placed a chair so that Her Majesty could sit down. She said to my brother, "You must forget that I am here and go along with your work just as usual." She watched for a while. And was very pleased when she saw that the plates were developing so quickly. My brother held up the plate to the red light to enable her to see more distinctly. Her Majesty said, "It is not very clear. I can see that it is myself all right, but why is it that my face and hands are dark?" We explained to her that when the picture was printed on paper, these dark spots would show white, and the white parts would be dark. She said. Well, one is never too old to learn. This is something really new to me. I am not sorry that I suggested having my photograph taken, and only hope that I shall like the portrait painting as well. She said to my brother, "Don't finish these photographs until after I have had my afternoon rest. I want to see you do it." When she got up at about half past three, it did not take her long to dress herself, as was her usual custom. And she went immediately to where my brother had the papers and everything prepared. He then showed Her Majesty how the printing was done. There was plenty of light, as it was summer time, and as it was only four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun was still high. Her Majesty watched for two hours while my brother was printing, and was delighted to see each picture come out quite plainly. She held the first one in her hands so long. While examining the others, 
that when she came to look at it again, she found that it had turned quite black. She could not understand this at all, and exclaimed, Why has this gone black? Is it bad luck? We explained to her that it must be washed after printing, otherwise a strong light could cause the picture to fade, as this one had done. She said, How very interesting, and what a lot of work there is! After the printing process had been finished, my brother placed the pictures in a chemical bath, as usual, finally washing them in clean water. This caused Her Majesty even more surprise when she saw how clear the pictures came out, and caused her to exclaim, "'How extraordinary! Everything is quite true to life!' When they were finally completed, she took the whole of them to her own room and sat down on her little throne and gazed at them for a long time. She even took her mirrors in order to compare her reflection with the photographs just taken. All this time my brother was standing in the courtyard awaiting Her Majesty's further commands. Suddenly she recollected this fact and said, Why, I had forgotten all about your brother. The poor fellow must be still standing waiting to know what I want next. You go and tell him. No, I had better go and speak to him myself. He has worked so hard all the day that I want to say something to make him feel happy. She ordered my brother to print ten copies of each of the photographs and to leave all his cameras at the palace in order that he could proceed with the work the next day. The following ten days it rained continually, which made Her Majesty very impatient, as it was impossible to take any more photographs until the weather improved. Her Majesty wanted to have some taken in the throne room, but this room was too dark, the upper windows being pasted over with thick paper, only the lower windows allowing the light to enter. My brother tried several times, but failed to get a good picture. During this rainy period, the court was moved to the sea palace, as the emperor was to sacrifice at the temple of earth. This was a yearly ceremony, and was carried out on similar lines to all other annual ceremonies. On account of the rain, Her Majesty ordered that boats should be brought alongside the west shore of the summer palace. On entering the boats, Her Majesty, accompanied by the court, proceeded to the western gate of the city and on arrival at the last bridge, disembarked. Chairs were awaiting us, and we rode to the gate of the sea palace. There we again entered the boat and proceeded across the lake, a distance of about a mile. While crossing the lake, Her Majesty noticed a lot of lotus plants which were in full bloom. She said, We are going to stay at least three days here. I hope the weather will be fine as I should like to have some photographs taken in the open boats on the lake. I also have another good idea, and that is, I want to have one taken as Quan Yin, goddess of mercy. The two chief eunuchs will be dressed as attendants. The necessary gowns were made some time ago, and I occasionally put them on. Whenever I have been angry or worried over anything, by dressing up as the goddess of mercy, it helps me to calm myself, and so play the part I represent. I can assure you that it does help me a great deal, as it makes me remember that I am looked upon as being all-merciful. 
by having a photograph taken of myself dressed in this costume, I shall be able to see myself as I ought to be at all times. When we arrived at the private palace, the rain ceased. We walked to her bedroom, although the ground was still in bad condition. One of Her Majesty's peculiarities was a desire to go out in the rain and walk about. She would not even use an umbrella unless it was raining very heavily. The eunuchs always carried out umbrellas, but if Her Majesty did not use her umbrella, of course we could not very well use ours. The same thing applied in everything. If Her Majesty wanted to walk, we had to walk also, and if she decided to ride in her chair, we had to get into our own chairs and ride as well. The only exception to this rule was when Her Majesty, being tired of walking, ordered her stool to rest on. We were not allowed to sit in her presence, but had to stand at all time. Her Majesty liked the sea palace better than her palace in the Forbidden City. It was far prettier, and had the effect of making her good-tempered. Her Majesty ordered us to retire early that day, as we were all very tired after the trip, and said that in the event of its being fine the next day, she would have the proposed photographs taken. However, much to Her Majesty's disappointment, it rained incessantly for the next three days, so it was decided to stay a few days longer. On the last day of our stay, it cleared up sufficiently to enable the photographs to be taken, after which we all returned to the Summer Palace. The day after our arrival at the Summer Palace, Her Majesty said that we had better prepare everything for the audience to receive the lady artist, Miss Carl. She told the chief eunuch to issue orders to all the other eunuchs not to speak to Miss Carl, but simply be polite as occasion required. We court ladies received similar orders. Also, that we were not to address Her Majesty while Miss Carl was present. The Emperor received several instructions. Her Majesty gave orders to have the gardens of Prince Chong's palace ready. She then said to us, I trust you three to look after this lady artist. I have already given orders for food to be supplied by the Wai Wu Pu. The only thing that I have been worried about is that I have no foreign food here for Miss Carl. She ordered us to have our stove taken over to Prince Chong's palace in case Miss Carl desired something cooked. She said, I know it will be very hard for you to take her to the palace each morning and return with her at night, besides having to watch her all day long, but I know you do not mind. You are all doing this for me. After a while she smiled and said, How selfish of me! I order you to bring all your things to this place, but what is your father going to do? The best thing will be to ask your father to come and live in the same place. The country air might benefit him. We kowtowed and thanked Her Majesty, as this was a special favor, no official nor anyone else having been allowed to live in Prince Tong's palace previously. We all were very pleased. I could now see my father every day. Hitherto we had only been able to see him about once a month, and then only by asking special leave. The next day Her Majesty sent us to Prince Ching's palace, to make all necessary arrangements for Miss Carl's stay. This palace of Prince Tong's was a magnificent place. All the smaller dwellings were quite separate from each other, 
not in one large building, as was the custom. There was a small lake in the grounds, and lovely little paths to walk along, exactly like the Empress Dowager's summer palace, but of course on a much smaller scale. We selected one of these small dwellings, or summer houses, for the use of Miss Carl during her stay, and had it fitted up nicely, to make her as comfortable as possible. We ourselves were to occupy the next house to Miss Carl, in order that we might always be on hand, and at the same time keep a good eye on her. We returned to the summer palace the same evening, and told Her Majesty just how everything had been arranged. She said, I want you all to be very careful not to let this lady know that you are watching her. She seemed very anxious about this, repeating these instructions for several days prior to Miss Carl's arrival. I felt very much relieved when the day before the audience arrived, and everything was finally fixed to Her Majesty's satisfaction. She ordered us to retire early that evening, as she wanted to rest and look well the next morning. When morning came, we hurried over everything, even the usual morning audience, so that we could be ready when Miss Carl arrived. While I was standing behind the screen, as usual, a eunuch came and told me that Mrs. Conjure, the artist, and another lady had arrived, and that they were now in the waiting-room. By that time the audience was about finished. The chief eunuch came in and told Her Majesty that the foreign ladies had arrived and were waiting in another room. Her Majesty said to us, I think I will go to the courtyard and meet them there. Of course, at all private audiences, Her Majesty received the people in the throne-room, but as Miss Carl was more of a guest, she did not think it necessary to go through the usual formal reception. While we were descending the steps, we saw the ladies entering the gate of the courtyard. I pointed out Miss Carl to Her Majesty, and noticed that she eyed Miss Carl very keenly. When we arrived in the courtyard, Mrs. Conjure came forward and greeted Her Majesty, and then presented Miss Carl. Her Majesty's first impression of Miss Carl was a good one, as Miss Carl was smiling very pleasantly, and Her Majesty, who always liked to see a pleasant smile, exclaimed to me in an undertone, She seems to be a very pleasant person, to which I replied that I was very glad she thought so, as I was very anxious about the impression Miss Carl would make on Her Majesty. Her Majesty watched Miss Carl and myself as we greeted each other, and I could see that she was satisfied. She told me afterwards that she had noticed Miss Carl appeared very glad to see me again, and said, We will handle her pretty easily, I think. Her Majesty then went to her own private palace, and we all followed. On our arrival, Miss Carl told me that she had brought her own canvas. This was a piece about six feet by four feet. I had told Miss Carl a little previously that Her Majesty refused to sit for a very small portrait, and that she would like a life-size one. When Her Majesty saw the canvas, she appeared to be very much disappointed, as in her opinion, even that was not large enough. We placed the tables ready for Miss Carl, and Her Majesty asked her to choose the position in which she wished to paint. I knew that Miss Carl would have great difficulty in choosing a good position, on account of the windows being built so low, there being very little light 
except low down near the ground. However, Miss Carl finally placed the canvas near the door of the room. Her Majesty told Mrs. Conger and the rest to sit down for a while, as she wanted to change into another gown. I followed her into her bedroom. The first question Her Majesty asked was how old I thought Miss Carl was, as she herself could not guess her age, her hair being extremely light, in fact almost white. I could hardly refrain from laughing outright on hearing this, and told Her Majesty that Miss Carl's hair was naturally of a light color. Her Majesty said that she had often seen ladies with golden hair, but never one with white hair, excepting old ladies. She said, I think that she is very nice, however, and hope she will paint a good portrait. Turning to one of the court ladies, she ordered her to fetch a yellow gown, as although, as she put it, she did not like yellow, she thought it would be the best color for a portrait. She selected one from a number which the court lady brought, embroidered all over with purple wisteria. Her shoes and handkerchiefs matched. She also wore a blue silk scarf, embroidered with the character show, long life. Each character had a pearl in the center. She wore a pair of jade bracelets, and also jade nail protectors. In addition, she wore jade butterflies and a tassel on one side of her headdress, and, as usual, fresh flowers on the other side. Her Majesty certainly did look beautiful on that occasion. By the time she came out from her room, Miss Carl had everything prepared. When she saw how Her Majesty was dressed, she exclaimed, "'How beautiful Her Majesty looks in this dress!' Which remark I interpreted to Her Majesty, and it pleased her very much. She seated herself in her throne, ready to pose for the picture. She just sat down in an ordinary easy position, placing one hand on a cushion. Miss Carl exclaimed, "'This is an excellent position, as it is so natural. Please do not move.' I told Her Majesty what Miss Carl said, and she asked me whether she looked all right, or not. If not, she would change her position. I assured her that she looked very grand in that position. However, she asked the opinion of the young empress and some of the court ladies, who all agreed that she could not look better. I could see that they never looked at Her Majesty at all. They were too much interested in what Miss Carl was doing. When Miss Carl commenced to make the rough sketch of Her Majesty, everyone watched with open mouth, as they had never seen anything done so easily and so naturally. The young empress whispered to me, Although I don't know anything about portrait painting, still, I can say that she is a good artist. She has never seen any of our clothes and headdresses, and she has copied them exactly. Just imagine one of our Chinese artists trying to paint a foreign lady. What a mess he would make of it! After the sketch was finished, Her Majesty was delighted, and thought it was wonderful for Miss Carl to have made it so quickly and so accurately. I explained that this was a rough sketch, and that when Miss Carl commenced painting, she would soon see the difference. Her Majesty told me to ask Miss Carl whether she was tired and would like to rest, also to tell her that she was very busy all the day, and would only be able to give her a few minutes sitting each day. We then took Miss Carl to luncheon, together with Mrs. Conger, and after luncheon 
we accompanied Her Majesty to the theater. After Mrs. Conger had departed, I took Miss Carl to my room to rest. As soon as we arrived there, Her Majesty sent a eunuch to call me to her bedroom. Her Majesty said, I don't want this lady to paint during my afternoon rest. She can rest at the same time. As soon as I am up, you can bring her here to paint. I'm glad that it looks like turning out better than I had anticipated. I therefore told Miss Carl Her Majesty's wishes in this respect, and that she could paint for a little while, if she chose to, after Her Majesty had had her rest. Miss Carl was so interested in Her Majesty, she told me she didn't want to rest at all, but that she would like to go on with the painting right away. Of course, I did not like to tell her anything the first day, as it might upset her, and did not say that this was a command from Her Majesty. After a lot of maneuvering, I got her to give up the idea of continuing straight off, without offending her. I took her out on the veranda, as the eunuch was preparing the table for Her Majesty's dinner, in the room we were then occupying. The young empress kept Miss Carl busy talking, I acting as interpreter. Soon one of the eunuchs came and informed us that Her Majesty had finished dinner, and would we please come and take ours. On entering the room, I was very much surprised to see that chairs had been placed there, as this had never been done previously. Everybody, with the exception of Her Majesty, taking their meals standing. The young empress was also very much surprised, and asked me whether I knew anything about it. I said that perhaps it was on account of Miss Carl being there. The young empress told me to go over and ask Her Majesty, as she was afraid to sit down without receiving orders to do so. Her Majesty whispered to me, I don't want Miss Carl to think we are barbarians, and treat the young empress and the court ladies in that manner. Of course, she does not understand our court etiquette, and might form a wrong impression. So you can all sit down without coming over to thank me, but be natural, as though you were accustomed to sitting down to dinner every day. After Her Majesty had washed her hands, she came over to our table. Of course we all stood up. Her Majesty told me to ask Miss Carl whether she liked the food, and was pleased when Miss Carl answered that she liked the food better than her own kind. That relieved Her Majesty. After dinner was over, I told Miss Carl to say good-bye to Her Majesty. We curtsied to her, also to the young empress, and said good-night to the court ladies. We then took Miss Carl to the palace of Prince Tong. It took us about ten minutes' ride in the carts. We showed Miss Carl her bedroom, and were pleased to leave her and get to our own rooms for a good night's rest. The next morning we took Miss Carl to the palace, and arrived there during the morning audience. Of course, Miss Carl, being a foreigner, could not enter the throne room, so we sat down on the back veranda of the audience hall and waited until it was over. This, of course, prevented my being in attendance each morning, as usual, and was a great disappointment to me, as I was unable to keep in touch with what was taking place. Moreover, during the time I had been at court, my one object had been to endeavor to interest Her Majesty in Western customs and civilization. I believed that, to a great extent, Her Majesty was becoming interested in these things, 
and would refer the subjects of our conversation to her ministers, for their opinions. For instance, I had shown her photographs taken of a naval review at which I was present in France. Her Majesty seemed to be impressed, and said that she would certainly like to be able to make a similar display in China. This matter she consulted with her ministers, but they gave the usual evasive answer, viz. There is plenty of time for that. From this you will see that Her Majesty was not able to introduce reforms entirely alone, even though she might desire to do so, but had to consult the ministers, who would always agree with Her Majesty, but would suggest that the matter be put off for a time. My experience while at the palace was that everybody seemed to be afraid to suggest anything new for fear they might get themselves into trouble. When Her Majesty came out from the audience hall, Miss Carl went up to her and kissed Her Majesty's hand, which caused her great surprise, although she did not show it at the time. Afterwards, however, when we were alone, she asked me why Miss Carl had done this, as it was not a Chinese custom. She naturally thought that it must be a foreign custom, and therefore said nothing about it. Her Majesty then proceeded on foot to her own palace to change her dress for the portrait. It was a beautiful morning, and when she had posed for about ten minutes, she told me that she felt too tired to proceed, and asked if it would be all right to ask Miss Carl to postpone it. I explained that as Miss Carl was going to be at the palace for some time, the postponement of one day's sitting would not make much difference at that time, although I knew that Miss Carl would naturally be disappointed. Still, I had to humor Her Majesty as much as possible, otherwise she might have thrown up the whole thing. Miss Carl said that, if Her Majesty wished to go rest, she would be working painting the screen and throne, and Her Majesty could pose again later on if she felt like it. This pleased Her Majesty, and she said that she would try to sit again after taking her afternoon's rest. Her Majesty ordered me to give Miss Carl her lunch in my own room at twelve o'clock each day, my mother, my sister, and myself keeping her company. Dinner at the palace was usually taken about six o'clock, and it was arranged that Miss Carl should take dinner with the young empress and the court ladies at that hour, after Her Majesty had finished dining. Her Majesty also ordered that champagne or any other wine which Miss Carl preferred should be served, as she said she knew it was the custom for all foreign ladies to take wine with their meals. Where she got hold of this idea, nobody knew. I was sure that Her Majesty had been misinformed by somebody, but it would have been bad policy to have tried to tell her different at the moment. She disliked very much to be told that she was wrong in any of these things, and it could only be done by waiting and casually introducing the subject at some other time. After Miss Carl had gone to rest during the afternoon, Her Majesty sent for me and asked the usual question, viz., what had Miss Carl been saying, etc., etc. She seemed particularly anxious to know what Miss Carl thought of her and when I told her that Miss Carl had said that she was very beautiful and quite young-looking, she said, "'Oh, well, of course, Miss Carl would say that to you. However, 
On my assuring her that Miss Carl had given this opinion without being asked for, she showed very plainly that she was not at all displeased with the compliment. Suddenly, Her Majesty said, I have been thinking that if Miss Carl can paint the screen and the throne, surely she ought to be able to paint my clothes and jewels without it being necessary for me to pose all the time. I told her that would be quite impossible, as nobody could hold the things for Miss Carl to get the proper effect. To my surprise, she answered, Well, that is easily gotten over. You wear them in my place. I hardly knew what to say, but thought I would get out of the difficulty by telling her that perhaps Miss Carl would not like such an arrangement. Her Majesty, however, could see no possible objection on Miss Carl's part, as she herself could pose when the time came for painting her face. So I put the matter as nicely as possible to Miss Carl, and it was finally arranged that I should dress in Her Majesty's robes and jewels whenever Her Majesty felt too tired to do the posing herself. In this manner, the portrait of the Empress Dowager was painted, and with the exception of just a few hours, to enable Miss Carl to get Her Majesty's facial expression, I had to sit for two hours each morning, and for another two hours each afternoon, until the portrait was finished. End of Part B of Chapter 13 Read by J.C. Guan, Montreal, January 2009